Uh, today's scripture reading is from John 14, verses 27 through 31. Uh, go ahead and turn there if you've got a device or your Bible. While you're getting there, uh, my name is Brian, and uh, my family and I have we've been coming to CrossFit for 20 years. Uh, my wife is Lizzie, and then I've got, we have uh, L, Jack, Noel, Paisley, and Wren. We have five children, so... Let's hear God's word. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not talk with you much longer, because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. On the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. Get up. Let's leave this place. That's the word of the God, of the Lord. Merry Christmas, Cross Point. It's good to be, see your faces. It's good, it's good to uh, be gathered alongside you this morning. If you have a Bible, open it up to John 14. We'll be in the passage that Brian read earlier. We're in week two of our Advent series as we approach Christmas Day, and I pray that this series is going to be an encouragement to your faith, to your life. Over the past year or so, uh, the word peace has been written over 40 times on the bottom of connection cards. Peace the people of God asking for uh, the Lord to bring about peace in their heart as they walk through difficult circumstances, as they walk through strained relationships, as they walk through uh, trouble and trial in their life. So here's what I know. Today's theme of peace is timely. It's timely for our church, whether you wrote one of those prayer requests or not. It's a uh, timely word for uh, householder, household, householders. Uh, and for households as we walk through uh, trouble and trial in our life that we are experiencing. Strained relationships, unsettling circumstances, or struggles with anxiety. Here's the truth I want us to hear this morning. It comes from John 14, verse 27, words of Jesus. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled or fearful. In our time together, I want us to see three true realities, that the uh, gift of peace that we have in Christ is, is a gift. It's given to his people, and that his peace is radically different than the peace the world offers. And as a result, his peace leads to hearts that are at rest, even in times of trouble. Let's first look at the context of John 14. In this section of the Gospel of John, Jesus has gathered his disciples in an upper room, for an extensive time of teaching and training. So what follows this time of teaching will be the chaos of the Passion Week. From the, from the betrayal and arrest of Jesus, the beatings, the mockings, the crowd shouting to crucify him, Peter denying that he even knew Jesus, culminating in the crucifixion, the disciples gathering or scattering in fear, thinking they could be next. What, what follows the peace and the private nature of John 13 through 17 is utter chaos to the disciples in John 18 and 19. And Jesus knows that. And so his teaching here in the upper room is preparing them in a variety of ways. Jesus knows what is ahead 
for the disciples. He knows in the future they're going to be faced with the temptation to grow anxious. He knows that temptation is not just here in the coming days of Passion Week, but will be as they, as they wait for the promised Holy Spirit or as they face persecution and opposition as the church grows and spreads on mission. The Lord Jesus, in his sovereign wisdom, knows what is ahead, including his own death. And he says to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled or fearful. I can imagine the disciples might be thinking, yeah, yeah, for sure, we, we got it. And in a spirit of self-reliance and naivety, they could be thinking, well, we, we won't let our hearts be troubled or fearful. No way, Jesus, not us. You're right here with us. We've been with you for three years. What could go wrong? You don't instruct someone to, be, to not be troubled or fearful if they aren't going to be tempted to be troubled and fearful. Jesus loves his people, not just the disciples gathered in the upper room, but you and me. And he's, and he's gathered his disciples and, and he's giving them this, this promise of peace because he knows what is ahead and he knows that they will need to know this promise is theirs. Our Savior is trustworthy, brothers and sisters. He is eternal. He's never surprised. He's never caught off guard. He's never lost sleep. He's never paced back and forth wondering what to do. He's a good shepherd who is for his people, with his people in all trains of life, including the low valleys. Brothers and sisters, his peace is given to his people. It's a gift. And it's a gift given to all followers of Jesus when we repent and believe the good news. When we transfer our trust away from ourselves and on to Jesus and into Jesus, when we admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior and we confess Him as the Lord, as the leader of our lives, when we humble ourselves before Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, it is then at our conversion that we are given not just the gift of eternal life, but the gift of His peace. See, some of you here or watching online, you haven't experienced this peace because you're still trusting in yourself. You have yet to cross the line of faith and, and showing up to a church building or doing religious things is not what brings about his peace. Because remember, his peace is, is a gift to receive, not one that is earned through work, not one that we achieve through our, our work or one that we are born into. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. It's his peace. And you don't receive his peace unless you receive him. Him as Lord and Savior, Him as, as a person because his, his peace is found in Him. So I pray that today, this, this season of Advent would be one where we would turn from living for ourselves and trying to earn His peace and wholeheartedly humble ourselves, bow, bowing our life to Christ. For it is in Him that we are given spiritual gift after, after spiritual gift, including the gift of peace. Jesus then contrasts His peace with what the world has to offer. He says, I, I do not give to you as the world gives. So not all peace is the same. Let's consider how the world, the culture that we live in, promises to try to give peace to people. The world has two false and unhelpful strategies. Those being that peace is found only in the absence of trouble or that peace is found only through the escape from trouble. These are the world's two methods that it prescribes when a person is facing a trial in their life. Either try to avoid it or hope that it goes away or escape from it. 
So absence. The lie here is, well, peace will come back to your heart and life when you get through this season. Like after the child returns to the Lord. Or that new job finally opens, opens up. Or, or you get the raise that you were expecting. Or you get out of financial debt. Or the physical pain diminishes. Or this big project at school or work is finally over. Or you get through the treatment plan. The lie is that peace is only ultimately found when there is no trouble in your life. So if you find yourself in trouble, then uh, best of luck. Best of luck. Peace will escape you, is what the world says, until you're through it, until your circumstances have changed. Until then, just white-knuckle it, lose sleep, and be overcome with anxiety. Just wait for it to be over. Or the world says to find peace you need to make sure your financial accounts are in good order. Your pension is secure and you're protected from mayhem with all your insurance coverages. And no, I'm not, I'm not rejecting those as bad ideas. Those are wise ideas. But when the stock market tanks, or when it just even dips a little bit, or when the feds say, hey, we're going to talk about interest rates, the world is on pins and needles. Because what they are clinging to as their peace is on shaky ground. What they've tethered their peace to is earthly. It's sand. It shifts. It changes. The world lies to us and says peace is found only in the absence of or the avoidance of trouble. The world's other false strategy is to say that peace is found through the escape from trouble, which then typically has two, two suggested escape routes to take. Either run from trouble by changing your circumstances, or numb your trouble through a substance or a habit. So change your circumstance. Go on vacation. Move to another place. Get married to someone else. Or don't get married. Stop being married. Get single? Get into a relationship. Don't like this relationship? Get into a different relationship. Change your employer. But simply changing your surroundings won't change our hearts. This false strategy is also often behind what would... It's often behind those who want to change their God-given gender. Well, if I change that, then I'll find peace. Again, what's missed is the heart. A heart that is in desperate need of the good news of who Jesus is and his great love for all and what Jesus has done and who we are in him, even trying to change something as significant as our gender won't bring about true, lasting peace. The world also says, well, if you can't change your circumstance, then numb your trouble through a substance or through a habit. So in the midst of a lot of anxiety or trouble, then take the edge off by going to alcohol or marijuana or something harder or a pain pill or overeating Need a shot of dopamine? Go out and buy things you don't need. Or just mindlessly scroll on social media, numbing your heart. Need a shot of dopamine? Go to porn on your device. Get a quick hit. Or through sexual immorality with another person. Or escape through binge watching show after show. Or work through it by working yourself into an oblivion. Such strategies promise escape, but are temporary but are temporary, and worse yet, they're exhausting and they are enslaving, friends. 
So they become what we start to run to in times of trouble. Because we've started to believe the lie of the world that when we experience unrest in here, in our hearts, then we must go try to do something to escape from it. But again, the lie of escape is, is trying to get us to avoid the transformation the Lord is wanting to do internally through his, his good news in our hearts. The world's patterns and ways are opposed to the Lord. Listen to the blunt words of John that he writes later to Christ's followers in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. John is saying the world's systems of, of values, the world's appetites, they stand in opposition to the things of God and the kingdom of God. So we, as the people of God, reject the love of the world because it's incompatible with the love of God. And, as verse 17 says, it's passing away. So the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions, they are worthless in the end. They don't bring salvation, and they most certainly don't bring about peace in the midst of life's trials and troubles. These things are passing away. But the one whose identity is in Christ lives forever and enjoys the presence and peace of being with God, being alongside his people, not only in this life, but for all eternity. Jesus says, peace I leave to you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So the gift of peace found in Christ alone is not an escape from the world, but it is the very gift that enables us to joyfully endure the world. His gift of peace is not temporary. It's lasting forever. His gift of peace is not false or empty, but it's actually true and most satisfying. Jesus is saying that his peace is, is not found in the absence of trouble, but in all circumstances, including in times of trouble or when you're tempted to be fearful. And we know all that because of the context in which Jesus speaks this promise in John 14 to his disciples. While they are naive to what is ahead, the eternal one is not. For Jesus was there in the beginning, in Genesis. During the creation account, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the triune Godhead was there speaking the world into existence. And perfect peace was the result. Peace between created people and God himself. Peace between people themselves. God's created world was functioning as he designed in perfect harmony. And then tragically, the people rebel against their creator and his good commands. They seek to exalt themselves in a place, to a place of authority and in rejection of the Lord's good authority. And in doing so, sin enters the world and perfect peace is no longer. Even in the garden, we see the people experience shame and guilt, anxiety, as they try to hide, and as they try to shift the blame onto the other. Their hearts are now in need of rescue from their sin and the schemes of the spiritual enemy. And throughout the Old Testament, God is promising that a Savior would come, that he would come to be the rescuer, the deliverer, the one who would set the captives free from the enslavement of sin and eternal death. Isaiah 9, 6 declares, For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. 700 years 
after, seven centuries after Isaiah gives that prophecy, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is born in Bethlehem. The eternal Son taking on flesh to dwell among a people in need of salvation, in need of true, lasting, eternal peace. We then fast forward to this moment in John 14, 30 plus years after Jesus is born, him declaring, peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled or fearful. Why can Jesus give peace that the world can't? Why is his peace exponentially better than the world's peace? I mean, if I said to you after this gathering, uh, and I said in the most dramatic voice, my peace I give to you. That's what you'd do. You would laugh. Because you'd think, great. Um, I don't know what that means. Or I don't know what that does, or what that changes in my life. But thanks. Or why would you be a little suspect of me granting you my peace? Because you'd look at the source. You'd look at the source. Me in this illustration and go, uh, what kind of spiritual power do you have over the trouble or trial in my heart? What kind of power do you have over the anxiety that I have in my heart, my worry? See, the source of the words matter. Same was true in Matthew 9 when Jesus causes a stir with the religious leaders when he not only heals a paralyzed man but then forgives him of his sin. Jesus tells the people in Matthew 9, the Son of Man, referring to himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. In the same way, when the Son of Man declares, my peace I give to you, it comes with real, heavenly, timeless, eternal authority. The source of the words, the source of the promise being made matters. And in verses 28 through 31 here in John 14, I see Jesus declaring his divine nature, his authority, his power to his disciples, reminding them of the source, reminding them that the source of the promise of peace is he himself. So we are born into a life that has enemies to it, the enemy of death, the enemy of our spiritual enemy, the, the devil, and his scheming and lying, seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. We, are also, has, we also have the enemy of our sin-prone flesh. As it relates to the subject of peace, when faced with the, these enemies, we can grow fearful of death, fearful of the devil, or troubled by our own sin-bent, weak flesh. But here, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is declaring that he's over death, he's over the devil, and he is over the flesh. In verses 28 and 29, Jesus is reminding the disciples, again, although they miss it in the moment, he's reminding them that his death is approaching. The cross is around the corner. I'm going away and I'm coming to you. Well, this happens in two ways in the following days and weeks. Jesus goes away through his death and burial. And then he came to them on the third day, resurrection, new life on third day. Later, he will ascend to heaven right in, front of, right in front of them. And then he comes to them in the promised spirit of God as the spirit of God comes in Christ's place to dwell with his people. So disciples, on Good Friday, when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he breathes his last breath, and he, when he declares it is finished, and they take down his body, and they bury it in a tomb. When you think all hope is lost, as if death has won and beaten the promised Messiah, when you're shocked at what has taken place and unsure of what will be next, take heart. Don't despair. 
Jesus is going away and Jesus will come again because Jesus is over death itself. His death is all part of the sovereign Lord's plan of redemption and the saving of many lives. Listen to Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have nothing to fear even in death. For our faith is in the risen one. He is our living hope. In verse 30, Jesus is declaring that he is over the devil. The ruler of the world there is referring to Satan, whose influence will be displayed through Judas's betrayal following the upper room. I love the clarity of Jesus' words in, in verse 30. He, ruler of the world, he has no power over me, period. Not a question mark, well, not a check footnote. He has no power over me. So while it may appear that the enemy does have power over Jesus in the coming days, during the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, he doesn't, never has, never will. Even in his death, Jesus declares victory over the enemy. Listen to Colossians 2, 14 and 15. He, Jesus, erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away, and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. The cross, while horrific and tragic, was a triumph over death over the devil. Then in verse 31, Jesus is declaring that he's over the flesh as well. He says, on the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. So the cross was not a triumph for the enemy, but in reality, the act of Jesus laying down his life was in obedience to the Father. The Son always did as the Father commanded him, meaning he was sinless. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, so he did not inherit the sin-bent flesh that we are born with. Instead, Hebrews 4 reminds us that while he was tempted in every way as we are and thus can sympathize with our weaknesses, he remained without sin. Jesus is greater than our flesh, greater than our sin. His grace, his power is greater. Friends, if we are disconnected from faith in Christ, if our faith is still in ourselves, we will wholeheartedly experience fear and anxiety in death, in a spiritual battle against spiritual forces and Satan, and in the depravity and weakness of our flesh. But in Christ, when our faith is in Him and not ourselves, we have no fear in death. For the scriptures say death is gain for the Christ follower. We have no fear toward the ruler of this age. For our God is greater and has triumphed over the devil, crushing the head of the snake. And the devil holds zero power over God's people. Zero power. And we have no fear toward our flesh or our sin. For upon that cross, Jesus, the righteous one, took on our unrighteousness and paid the penalty of sin in full. It is finished. For God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
So we do not walk around as the condemned, but as the new creation in Christ that we are. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled or fearful. The Prince of Peace is over our greatest enemies. Death, the devil, and our sin. So brothers and sisters, the gift of his peace that he has given to us leads us in our hearts to be at rest, including in times of trouble and trial. His gift of peace is given is, is a gift not just to receive, but to be enjoyed. You and I will exchange gifts. We'll, we will receive gifts this month by loved ones, and they are given with the intent that we might enjoy them. In the same way, Jesus intends that we, his people, might walk out and enjoy his gift of peace. So how might we do that? A couple encouragements. We enjoy, we enjoy his peace through, through prayer and alongside the people of God. Prayer and people. Of course, they're going to start with the same letter. <laughs> but it's often in times of trouble or trial that we don't want to pray and we don't want to be alongside God's people because the enemy lies to us and we believe those lies. We say, times of trouble? All right, it's on you. Get yourself out. Pull yourself up. All that garbage. And we run from prayer and dependence upon the Lord and we run from God's people. We run from the love that we will experience through brothers and sisters in Christ. So first of all, prayer, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything but in everything. See, I love this. Don't worry about everything. And we all go, are you kidding me? But in everything. So, so here's the path. Here's how we walk out this gift. In everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Result in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The Lord is near. That's the truth right there. The Lord is near, brothers and sisters. And in our worry and our fear, we turn toward him in prayer. We talk to our Father all the time and about everything. Because 1 Peter 5 declares to us, he is a God who cares for us so we can cast all our anxieties and cares upon him. And we pray in the context of community with the family of God. Listen to Colossians 3, instruction given to how the family of God lives with one another. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against one another or against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. In times of trouble and trial, in times of uncertain future, difficult circumstances, we intentionally pursue both the practice of prayer and doing that alongside the community of brothers and sisters, the family of God around us. For that is where the peace of Christ will reign and rule over our hearts. That is where we can enjoy the gift of his peace in times of trial, where we can turn from anxious living and trust in the Lord, for he is over our greatest enemies, death, the devil, and our own sin. John 16, 33 says, I have told you these things, Jesus is saying this, I have told you these things 
so that in me, in him, you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. It's the reality. And then he says, be courageous. I have conquered the world. Our peace is found in him, the conqueror, the victorious one, who will return in victory for his people, where wrongs will be made right, and death will be no more, and sorrow will be no more, and tears will be no more. A new heavens and new earth will be established by the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so we can walk in faith and trust, for he is reigning and ruling now. Not later, now. In the smallest and the largest trials that we walk through in life. Thank you, Lord, for your presence and power in our lives. Thank you for the gift of your peace given to your people. Thank you that your gift is so much better than what the world offers. Thank you that you've conquered death, the devil, and sin. Help our hearts to rest in you in all seasons and turn toward prayer and the people of God as a way of life. Psalm 29 declares to us, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord. Give the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The, the God of glory thunders the Lord above the vast water. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendor. The Lord sits. He's at rest, enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned, king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Amen and amen. Paul writes this in 2 Thessalonians. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Amen.